Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Sales Players Podcast. All right, hey everybody, this is David Craig White, your host here on the Sales Players Podcast, and today I'm delighted to have Chris on the show, Chris Hatfield. He is the uh, the founder and uh, chief coach, I would say, at the Sales Psyche. Is it Sales Psyche or Sales Psyche, Chris? Psyche? Sales Psyche, it's yes. the E, right? All right, cool. So today we're going to talk about um, sales and mental health. I'm really excited about this one because it's not one which is covered very often. Um, I've, I've been following Chris for a short while. I, I He came across my feed on LinkedIn. Surprise, surprise. It's usually how we all meet, right? Um and I reached out to him straight away as soon as I saw what he was doing because it's super interesting. And I think, um, yeah, well, to be honest, I'm looking forward to, uh, to to squeezing you of every valuable piece of uh, information and tips you've got for the audience today, Chris. So, but first of all, thanks for thanks for coming on. How's things? Yeah, really good. Thanks, thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, really excited and and great to hear like people like yourself providing a platform for for me to talk about this. Excellent. So. First of all, Chris, just just for the audience, um, sales psyche. Give give us a bit of a background, sort of like um, where did that come from? What's it? What do you do? Uh, so the audience are, are aware of that. I put a quick post out this morning to give a bit of an insight, but of course, not everybody will see that. Yeah, sure. So um, where to start? I think it all starts with me falling into sales, like most people did back in the day, really. And it's nice to sort of see, I suppose, a bit more intention about moving into sales these days, but that's a different story. Uh, I fell into sales and, and realized I struggled quite heavily with anxiety that sort of crippled me. And my first ever sales job was a door-to-door, 100% commission only, um, solar panels, loft and cavity wall insulation kind of gig. That'll so um, if you didn't sell, you didn't you didn't earn, basically, yeah. uh, at all. You didn't even get a base. So yeah, that kind of first of all was really crippling and it it sort of made me feel like I don't want to just give up on this because I because of my anxiety I want to better understand myself and I'd gone to uni and done sports coaching so I'd always had that kind of interest in that development side of things so I thought well let's use myself as a bit of an experiment and and do things a bit differently so I took a personal interest around it and you sort of fast forward and I'm happy to come back to that bit in between but 13 14 years later I'd seen I was Head of sales enablement for a fintech company uh, i'd always had quite a passion i'd started a podcast and a side gig of like speaking and talking because i'd seen in sales as you mentioned at the start there's a lot of stuff around like skill set and you know what you need to do what you need to say but not much around well, what's going on between those two ears and like that's the most important conversation you have with yourself and if you don't understand yourself you're not going to be able to understand anyone else around you so it was the yeah. pandemic and i'd seen that the it had allowed us to talk more about mental health, but still very much from a reactive point of view, waiting for someone to be burnt out, not motivated, not hitting target, thinking of leaving or left before doing something. So I wanted to kind of create something that was more of a preventative and proactive approach rather than waiting for the headache to happen and going, hey, here's the paracetamol, is how do you stop the headache from happening in the first place? So that's where Sales Psyche came from. It's uh, yeah. it's a combination of us working with companies to provide then with one-to-one confidential days where anyone in the business can come in and book a coaching session. It's not therapy or counseling, but they can speak to someone who's been in sales and talk about anything from their mindset and mental health, anything from burnout, imposter syndrome, performance anxiety, limiting beliefs, all those 
all those good things that come up quite regularly in sales but we don't really want to talk about sometimes and then secondly we provide live and on-demand sessions and also bespoke workshops to to train people and give them a better understanding of of their mindset and how to take a, a more proactive approach around it yeah yeah awesome awesome so so i'm going to come back to you on those specific topics what you're talking about there because those are the things i like to just introduce the the topic to to the audience because uh you know there's things like imposter syndrome tons of people have heard about it probably nine out of ten people have no idea what it actually is so stuff like that is exactly sort of what i'd love for us to sort of share with the audience today uh but just just rolling back um you, you've obviously it, it's 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 very very typical of anybody I, I knew straight away like anybody who moves into the space of mental health and tries to help out you always know it's done because they've witnessed this in the past and it's motivated them. They've, they've got out of it and it's motivated them to be like, shit, other people out there are struggling with this and nobody's helping them. You know, cause you probably had a, the same struggle yourself. Why do I find help for this? Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what's your, um, what's your opinion right now on sort of the level of awareness and how much focus and acceptance companies are putting on this because especially when you work in sales you know if, if you say you have a mental health issue when you work in sales i think let's be honest probably nine and a half out of ten sales leaders out there would be like oh they're weak they shouldn't be working in sales you can't talk about mental health issues if you've got a weak mindset. So that that mindset thing, like it's, it's like you say, the mindset has always been something what has been part of any training sessions and coaching sessions of the past and the present. Um, everybody always talks about mindset, but it's always about like having the right mindset, a positive mindset, and you know, a champion's mindset. But people never talk about that, the mindset also, which is the, you know, the negative side where sometimes you have to come from. And sometimes very often, pretty much, I think everybody in sales at some point struggles with anxiety, for example, um, and, and other, other issues. Um, but, but yet it's never talked about and it's still very sort of taboo, if you like. And still, I think in most organizations, you can maybe correct me, I'm sure you're working with some right now who are changing. Um, but, but what's 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 your sort of view on the current attitude of companies when it comes to this? Yeah, I think it is evolving. I think you know, I, I, one of the spaces I work quite heavily in is the SaaS space, mm. and I do see this evolving. I think that is somewhere where you're seeing sort of, I suppose, a, a new age of founders as well coming in and and almost sort of seeing and experiencing what they've gone through in their career and and kind yeah. of wanting to change that. So. You know, I think there are a lot more leaders. They're not, to your point, there is still probably, you know, the minority of those people doing that. Yeah. Um, but it is always interesting, I think, and I hear it all the time and I've, I've been witness to it, you know, that winning mindset, growth mindset, you've got to be resilient. But I think most people misunderstand resilience in the first place and that a lot of people believe it's about being strong, but it's not. It's about being adaptable and telling yourself that, you know, if you've got this something going on that you're weak is is such a the wrong way of looking at it i mean i always go back to physical health as an example and how we should view the two the same and, and treat them the same is you know most people will watch football or any sport or the commonwealth games that's just been on and if someone is is injured you don't see them as weak you 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 see these athletes that train every single day and you're like well they, you know they're top performers but if they get an injury you're like oh you know that's a shame unlucky yeah. for them like you know i hope they get i hope they recover soon like that guy who got who broke his fibula i think is out for three months no one's going all like he's weak he should have you know look at him yeah. and that's the same we should how we should see mental health is particularly in sales where we are pushing and pushing and pushing 
there are going to be things, there are variables each day. And when those things happen, it shouldn't be a case of all well, your week. It should be, you know, no wonder, like, look what's going on here. How do we best support you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and inside of organizations, sort of in my experience, like I said, it has always been sort of that that view of weakness. And and of course, as we spoke about just before we hit the, the record button today, sort of I've when I got into my coaching, I moved into doing a lot of one-on-one coaching with people outside of sales and off the sales topic. And I learned there sort of, uh, you know, the depths of how complex mental health can be. Um, and I think also it's funny you mentioned that, like the physical exercise because working from home on COVID, like you said, it's it's no surprise that that all of a sudden triggered an extra sort of batch of mental health issues for people because I've done it. I have, you know, even in the last sort of uh, three, four months when I've gone back into running my own business, you find yourself sat at the same place every day you're working your ass off doing 12 18 hour days some days and you're literally like did i move from my desk apart from to go grab a cup of coffee um and then all of a sudden it's only like only in the last sort of like 10 days i've actually been like oh damn i need to go out i need to go walk i need to get some like exercise into me i need to keep healthy and like as soon as you start to go into it then you realize like how much of a switch it is on the mental side right so it's like that that com- combination there of just getting out of the house, getting the, the mind sort of fresh. It, it really like the physical exercise has this knock-on effect where it really, really empowers the mental side as well. And again, those are things what I've just not, I've literally not seen zip when it comes to sort of online content about that stuff. It's always just the same stuff. Hey, what's the best call openers when you're an SDR? Keep yourself motivated when you're working from home or let's set up a dashboard and compete virtually against each other it's kind of like well no actually you can probably get more out of your team if you actually just say hey let's take a time out and let's all go for a let's let's do an audio zoom call or something go put your your running trainers on or your walking trainers and go for a walk while we all have a team session or something like that yeah it's just people are just not thinking about that because I, i don't i think people underestimate the sort of power on the brain of the physical activity right the physical exercise it's it's really huge Mm, definitely definitely yeah. yeah i think it is it's so important to mix it up and i i found that as well i've been running sales like nearly two years now and you know it is important to to bring that variety um to your life yeah. and even though you know naturally it's thinking wherever you are in sales if you're behind you think oh i can't have a break because i'll be further behind if i'm ahead i can't lose momentum it's a bit like an f1 race is the analogy i often use is you know, they'll never feel like there's a right time in an F1 race, but if you don't do it, you're going to burn out. Your tires are going to go, and you're going to run out of fuel. Yeah, good analogy. Good analogy. I'd say exactly, exactly spot on. Yeah, cool, Chris. So let's 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 dig in. Let's dig in here on some of these these topics. What you you talk about and you cover a lot in your uh, your coaching sessions, and obviously when you're speaking with people, um, imposter syndrome. Let's let's start with that. So for the audience. What is imposter syndrome and uh, what can people do to avoid it or deal with, handle it better, let's say? Sometimes you can't just avoid and get rid of stuff. Sometimes you yeah. just have to learn how to manage it, right? Yeah, exactly. I think uh, to sort of, I suppose, to put it in uh, really sort of layman's terms, is that kind of feeling that any moment now you're going to get tapped on the shoulder. If you're working from home, you're going to get a Slack message or someone's going to email you and go, do you know what? We found out you're not as good as what we thought you were. You're out. You're done. It's that kind of constant feeling of no matter how much you know, how much you learn, how much you do, that you're out of your depth. You, you don't fit in. You're not right in that situation. There's actually, I think with all of this, it's it's about understanding it more. And there's actually four different types of imposters um, that we can experience. And we can actually 
be a mix of all of them. The first one is the perfectionist, which we all know is a very common, most talked about one. Even people say, oh, I can't help it, I'm a perfectionist. Um, but a perfectionist and doing your best are very different things, and that in itself is a is a separate conversation. So I won't delve too much into that one. The second one is the expert. So this is that feeling where you need to have all the information, no matter how much you know, there always needs to be more training, more understanding. It often leads to that kind of analysis paralysis, fear of, oh, what happens if someone asks a question I don't know the answer to? Third one is natural genius. So this is the feeling where you need to get things right first time round. So you'll often give up on things that don't come easy. You'll avoid trying things in and outside of work, like new sales approaches or new hobbies, because you think if the tar if if you don't master it first time round, it's not the task is too difficult. It's that you're not good enough, and you ne- never will be. And yeah. then the fourth one is the workaholic. So this is the feeling that no matter how uh, much I work, I'm never going to be as intelligent or as good as anyone else around me in the team. So I need to constantly be an overdrive. I need to be the first one in, last one out. I need to put my hand up for everything. I need to be involved with everything, even if I've got everything on my plate already. And this is, they're all quite dangerous from a management perspective, but this one can be, because obviously on the face of it, you could think, oh, this person looks really committed. You know, they're really involved. They, they really like pushing, but it's, you know, not saying don't, don't encourage those behaviors, but it's about asking what's driving them behind it. If it's the imposter, then it's not a healthy thing. So there's a few things to, 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 i suppose manage the imposter i think first of all which i talk a lot about of emotions like stress and anxiety is reframing it and actually looking at how is it serving me rather than just sabotaging me yeah and i think a lot of the time like for example imposter syndrome could be seen as a sign of humility it shows that you care it shows that you want to do a good job it i always ask people would you rather feel like this or would you rather think this would you rather not care about this you know promotion coming up or you hitting your target would you rather be nonchalant about it and then people call you out for being this way or would you rather feel like this and people like actually i would probably rather feel like this because i think like imposter syndrome the more we we look at it as a negative the more we create this perception around it and then when we start to feel it it creates more of that kind of fight flight fawn or freeze moment yes um so i think one thing is is looking for the benefits and also challenging your thinking around it so analogy and you'll hear i use a lot of analogies but your brain's a bit like a courtroom and you've got the prosecution which is your brain on sort of that risk management mode of going this is going to happen that's going to happen this is going to go wrong and it's can go into overdrive and you can look for all that kind of confirmation bias around it and what we've got to do if you've experienced imposter syndrome and 70 percent of us will experience it at some point of our lives so it's very common is challenge that thinking and create a defense so it's almost going well where's the evidence that this thought is true which is what the defense would ask in the courtroom. And then yep. what else could be true in this situation? And how is this benefiting me? So those questions, by going into questions, and I'm going off into a bit of a tangent here, but just a side note, if you ask questions, your brain will look for possibilities. If you make statements in your head, it will look for sort of things to restrict you. It's a bit like a Google search engine. If you just type in limitation, if you type in statements, it's going to come back with evidence. Type in questions, it will come back with possibilities. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's kind of like the classic. Uh, you know, you've got you've got a a numb right arm, right? So of course you go to Google. It's just like what what are the, what are the side effects of it? What, <laughs> you know, yeah, gonna, you know, you get what you search for, right? So so again, it's about mental. It's funny because it's like you know you're talking about stuff there, which is um, you know fear of getting fired, which of course holds people back a lot. Um, very much as well on it's about limiting beliefs, right? People's limiting mm-hmm. beliefs. Um, which is, a, again, a topic in psychology and sometimes in coaching, which is something you cover a lot with people. Um, 
that lack of confidence again another super super highly um highly used topic what was not covered that much and it's it, that little questioning thing at the end now, i often used to usually play a game with people um called i call it fact or fiction so when they're coming up with a sort of maybe a limiting belief or they're coming up with a statement about something or someone i always ask them to say all right well just let's play fact or fiction for a second like what you just said there is that a fact do you know that that's correct or is that fiction because you're just saying it because you think it and that really helps people sort of reframe a little bit and rethink about it. it's like well it's they usually start off by going well it's definitely not facts it's like so they're you know they're, the question's actually answered straight away because they're always like well, it's definitely not facts no and then they spend a couple of moments there trying to figure out sort of okay what is it then and then they realize all oh, right it's not facts then it's fiction mm. so, yeah. so i found that people a lot there so it's, it's yeah. interesting sort of the yeah all right so when it just comes jumping to... in there on that one david yeah. sorry um you know because other people might jump in and go and i hear this all the time is oh there is evidence because you know this is when this happened on this call or when this happened this target like well how many calls have you had yeah or how many times have you had that quarter or that end of month and it's like oh well you know it's only happened four out of 30 or 40 times it's like okay well let's flip it the other way if if you'd only had four good calls out of 40 calls would you be thinking the next one's going to be good no you'd be thinking it's bad why because the majority have been bad so in this case the majority have been good why aren't you thinking the next one could be good yeah yeah exactly it's it's people always remember um sort of the the pain or the pleasure of, of obviously the past is usually always the strongest driver right with people's mm. behavior um and i think as well sort of it's the same when people use a specific maybe they've used a certain sales tactic on a cold call and it's worked like they remember that because if it got them a good meeting and it's with a fortune 500 or something that sticks they got maybe there's some pleasure out of it they was in the office it had a big impact and they stick with that and remember it and it's exactly the same with negative stuff as well right if they had a really bad day and something happened and they had a bad call and messed something up that sticks with them and it's obviously takes a while to drill that out right yeah definitely all right cool so imposter syndrome so so what would be your sort of your number one tip there for avoiding imposter syndrome um i think first of all reframing it and looking at how it's benefiting you and secondly challenge your thinking ask where is the evidence what else could be true here in those situations and yeah. then take that thing that you're fearing that negative what if is what i call it and yeah. go right what is it trying to tell me because all emotions are a signals they're not threats it's a bit like a smoke alarm going off in the house it's not on fire it's just saying yeah. hey you need to pay attention to me so yes. it's actually going what is this trying to tell me it's trying to tell me i'm feeling like this because i don't know enough about this meeting coming up okay well what's one or two things i can do to reduce the chance of that happening go and yeah. research this person research the questions they might ask it's actually going well if you look at it as a way of a trigger trying to tell you something a bit like when we're thirsty you're going hey you need to get drink some water we don't go oh my god i hope i don't get thirsty today but when we do get thirsty we don't go what would happen if i didn't drink for a week or two we see it as a signal and it's kind of reframing that in a similar way yeah yeah got it what, what's the typical response you get from salespeople when you introduce them to this because i mean we've been salespeople. i know i was stubborn as hell when i was younger um you know it was only when i grew up and uh, witnessed and went through some of these challenges for myself i started to maybe listen to people a bit more um 
what, what, what's what's the classic response in your experience from from different types of salespeople what you usually get from this kind of advice uh i think first of all it's it's how it's framed because i i never want to position it as advice it's more like you know yeah. as, as we talked about the kind of coaching and getting someone to to come to that conclusion themselves and i yeah. suppose and this is the feedback i've had is that i don't i deliver these kind of things without making someone feel like i'm patronizing them or you know, I think particularly with this kind of stuff or even mental health is sometimes people want to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And that can really switch people off, particularly in sales is you don't want to be like that. You want to really simplify a lot of this stuff and make everyone go, oh, that's so obvious. Like, you know, and, and make people feel like what you've just told me isn't amazing. Like it's it's just you've reframed something and that's all I want to do. I'd never want to sort of be seen as this. Wow. Like, oh, my God, like I've never thought of it that way is people yeah. probably have, but they just haven't put it in the in that sort of framing before so it's really it's really positive i think because a lot of people start to recognize oh actually i have got more control of this i don't yeah. just let it have to let this happen to me i can do something about it yeah yeah got it so just for the audience just so you know that means that chris actually knows the difference between coaching and training unlike about 99 percent of the other people on the <laughs> <laughs> all right chris what's next in the in the most frequently sort of uh, used topics what you're covering with people You've got imposter syndrome. What else is really commonly uh, a topic you cover with people? Yeah, I mean, we've touched on limiting beliefs, um, yeah. dealing with stress and anxiety is a big one. Burnout, of course. Habits is a is a kind of golden thread that people don't realize. I yeah. think we talk a lot about goal setting, but not enough about habit setting. And yeah. particularly in sales, we can get very focused on the outcome and not actually, well, what's the tangible thing yeah. to get there? um yeah. so and then motivation as well which i think is something that's very misunderstood and people sort yeah. of miss things around yeah so so habits let's let's talk about that one because that that's also a very interesting topic habits and what what the kind what kind of habits people have and and again you know when it, when it comes to habits then there's positive and negative ones right mm. yeah yeah and and i think you know about 55 percent of our daily routine is built by habits Mm. which is why when covid happened everyone started working from home it wasn't so much zoom fatigue that was taking over it was we just didn't have any habits we had no routine so our brain is yeah. having to be consciously on throughout the day which is what's draining it um consistently ar around that so going back to your point earlier about adding variety that's why it's it's so important but habits are whenever i'm doing running a session or working with people it's going great okay this is the goal but well, what's the tangible habit like that's the that's the controllable the more we talk about habits the more we focus on the controllables and then we can get to that goal but it's actually going well what can what can you do like how are you going to implement this everyone goes it's easier said than done yes everything is easier said than done but yeah. it's going well okay the sooner we start working on a habit the sooner we can actually get you to that point yeah yeah so what are what are some of the most sort of common let's say um unhealthy habits what people have who you work with uh, and obviously what, what do you take them to what yeah take? Uh, i suppose unhealthy habits is well one of the things is like just constantly being on like you know having your i mean one thing i did which really helped me was not have my phone in my bedroom i've done that for like three or four years now and it's been such mm -hmm. a game changer of not being that habit of picking it up first thing in the morning and checking it or in the night when you think you can't sleep or before beds and yeah. um, it's been a really good really good thing for me but I think people with that kind of constantly feeling on having Slack and emails and your phone open all day and then thinking, why am I not being as effective as I could be is, yeah. well, you know, look at all the noise that's going on around you. And I think what 
a lot of people miss as well is when they are trying to remove, uh, trying to deal with bad habits in their life, they think they can erase them, but you can't erase a bad habit. You've got to replace it with something. So yeah. if you had one of your favorite meals in front of you right now and I took it away, you're just going to be thinking about that. And that's why New Year's resolutions don't work is we just try and stop doing something. And yeah. it's like, what are we start doing? And it's um, this links to what I talked about before about that kind of towards versus away motivation is if it's yeah. away motivated, I want to stop doing this. I want to do less of this. Yeah. If you don't have anything to replace it, it's you're not going to be able to do that. Your your brain might do it for a small period, but eventually you'll go back to that habit. Yes. Yeah. Funny. Let, let me let me share with you a little story because I think the, the audience will benefit from this because I can literally tap into both of those things and give a really concrete example. Because like I said, I've I've started to uh, get my ass off the chair and go out and do some exercise in like the last ten days. Um, but I also tried to do a couple of decisions over the last like few months since I went back to running my own business. The first one was actually stop drinking. Yeah, so I was just like, I know I was purely, it was because I went out, we did a big night. We literally got in at whatever, two, three in the morning. It was a weekday. And up until that date, I'd been just full on, switched on, trying to get the business up and running, do the website, all that stuff. You know what it's like. Yeah, you're literally doing everything. There's always something to do. And the day after, I was literally hung over the day after, as we always are. I usually always say the day after the day after is the worst one because that's where the headache comes where you feel really bad. <laughs> and then, but the thing what frustrated me the most was the fact that even on that day there, because I, I, I felt, right, uh, if I sleep, if I drink a lot of water, the, the hangover won't be as bad. And tomorrow, like, I'll be okay. So it'll only be one day's hangover. And I found myself on that day after the day after. I was trying to work and I didn't have a hangover. I felt okay because I hydrated well. I was good. But my brain just wouldn't function. Just wouldn't function at all. I was just like, damn. And I was just like, how many, how, how many unproductive days of the year do you have if you go out drinking consistently? It's like, because even if you go do it on a Saturday, like, you know, Sunday's going to be hangover. You know, Monday's probably also going to be shit. And most people don't like Mondays anyway, right? So, of course, so I made this decision there to be like, right, I'm going to stop drinking. Um, but that that's exactly what you're talking about. I made a decision that I'm going to stop drinking. I didn't make a decision that I'm going to do this instead of going out drinking. Yeah. I, I made that up as I went along. So then all of a sudden I'm getting an invite. Hey, man, you want to catch up for a couple of beers and some food? You know, nothing heavy, but whatever. And I was just like, then I kind of was like, ah, um, yeah, he's telling me not drinking yeah sure i'll come out but I, I i won't be drinking anything you know you get the typical what um and it was like i then started to question myself and to be honest like the the most positive thing in a way was like instead of just stopping then for me it was just about like cutting back and just saying right i can go out and i can just have one or two drinks because i don't have that's what all alcoholics say right i don't have a drinking problem um i can control my drinking and i can make a decision sort of you know how much i drink and it's not i don't see drinking as a problem for myself so it's not like i'm a raving alcoholic and that's why i stopped it's just because i was like this is unproductive i need to get my business off the ground i can't afford 20 30 days unproductivity in the year unproductivity is that even a word i don't know uh, but that's one example of me trying to stop something whereas when it came to sort of the the health kick and the getting out like my decision there was yes based on the fact that i was just like i knew i was going to put on weight because i knew it'd be back at home i'm not traveling back and forth in the morning and not getting much exercise 
Um, and then when I could sort of feel it happening, see it happening in the mirror, then I was like, right, no, that's it. I need to go on a diet. I need to make my, my diet healthy and I need to go out. So then I kind of, that was the opposite mind of thinking, right? And like, that was easy to stick to because then I was like straight away, meal prep, right? What am I eating instead of the other crap what I've been eating? And I prepped it and I went out there, I got the meals, I got the food. And then I just started to like work on that and make that food better and go out and do the daily habit of walking. So of course mm. that, that worked hundred percent. The drinking piece didn't. And I, I bullied myself a little bit for it in the beginning, right? The classic, the classic, whether it's uh, it's the imposter syndrome, right? Bullied myself. Yeah. Oh, why, why do I suck so much? I, I can't stop drinking. I promised myself I would stop drinking, but I've not done it. But that's because like I didn't really need to, and I didn't see the motive, and I didn't think of like what do I replace it with? Because I mean, yeah, it's one thing you, you can't really replace a beer with water in that kind of frame. Um, so so, but that just goes to I think that gives a good example of two things there. What I did, what was sort of uh, sort of achieved in a very different way, right? The strategy was very different in order to get there. Mm. Yeah, I think one thing that really, I uh, at one point gave up drinking for about 18 months, uh, yeah. nearly two years. Did it as a bit of an experiment. And one thing that really helped me was, and I always encourage people to do this with any habit, is say, I don't rather than I can't. Yeah. So it's self-talk is such a, a pivotal, pivotal thing in mm. in everything we do i don't know if you've heard the stat of how many words per minute on average our self-talk is but we can speak about 130 words per minute we can type about 70 words our self-talk is about 800 to 1200 words per minute so there's a lot of noise going on up there and you know if you say to someone i don't if you say i can't i can't involves willpower and i can't i can't and then it, this is where that kind of self-sabotage and judgment comes in of yeah. yourself of more likely to do it for example, a vegetarian says, and it's a bit different, but I don't eat meat. No one goes, oh, go on, go on, try mm. some. But you don't. Yeah. That's my identity. Sure. So it might be if people are listening to this, one thing that helped me like in the week or certain days, I'd be like, I don't drink on, I don't drink on these occasions anymore. I don't do this. Um, mm. You know, and I went on a bit of the health kick similarly, actually, just before I'd started Cell Psyche. And a few other habits that helped me was, you know, when I was hungry, I'd tell myself, oh, actually, whenever I'm hungry, the habit I want to implement is, I'm going to have a glass of water and then wait 10 minutes. And if I'm still hungry, I can eat. And I never yeah. was. And I would yeah. always have a glass of water for dinner, but I'd never told myself I couldn't do something. It was always about like, a, you can if you want, but here's an alternative. And yes. I made a really big sort of intention around that and lost, I think, around um, 16, 17 kilos from it, just from right. it all came down to habits. It all came down to habits and how I felt, not how I looked was the big thing yeah. sort of i asked myself every day how do you feel how do you feel from this don't judge it on how you look straight away because if you do you'll probably want to give up mm. yeah yeah that's it the feeling is the most powerful thing right but that's yeah. definitely the most powerful thing you, you you can and it's always the same right it's like whenever you've not been to the gym for years you kind of know in your head it's like oh i just know when i get back i know how good i'm gonna feel mm. it's yeah. not when i when I get back, I know how good I'm going to look in the mirror. It's always like I remember that good feeling after after you finally just get back in that gym for that first day. How good does it feel after that first workout? Yeah, and that's the thing, which is one of the key things about when you're trying something new or trying something, anything, even when you go to sales, is try the natural reaction is for us to judge how we feel right now. Yeah, it's thinking how am I going to feel at the end of it? It's linked to something called the motivation trap. Is that we believe that. We need to have motivation to do something when in reality by doing something we can get motivation from it so 
you know, when you look at the habits you've built, there'll be people listening to this that run regularly or go to the gym. You don't feel like it some days, but you still go. And at the end of it, you feel great. And that's a great example of not being motivated, doing something because yeah. habits don't rely on, on emotions. They overpower them. They don't need them to respond. So whether it's prospecting, whether it's emails, whether it's a, a proposal you're working on, don't try and think, how am I going to feel having done this versus how I feel now? Because it also helps with things like procrastination as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also just to add a, a, a third, fourth, fifth, whatever point we're on right now, um, like structure, right? Habit and structure are very much hand in hand. Like for me <laughs> to be able to change like the the diet and the exercise regime i had to change my entire day structure and that had a lot of knock-on effects positive ones uh, it did mean that i have to go to bed early i can't stay up until one o'clock in the morning working i still do but of course then i'll just maybe you've got to be flexible as well right it's about not beating yourself up because oh damn i didn't get it. like this morning i didn't get out and go for my normal sort of 90 minute power walk in the morning i didn't get up at six because I did my walk in the afternoon yesterday because it didn't fit into my schedule, right? So it's kind of like, so long as you're flexible enough to be like, not bully yourself into thinking, damn, I failed. It's got to be flexibility and goal setting all of the time, right? So you don't feel like that. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it motivates you to carry on and doesn't feel like a defeat. But I think also in the sales day, right? It's structure, habit. Uh, I think habit and structure go hand in hand, right? It's, it's about right i'm gonna in order to do this i need to change this i need to make sure i go to bed early because if i don't i can't get up at six o'clock if i can't get up at six o'clock i'm not going to have time to do my 90 minute walk before work then i'm going to move into my work day which is going to take a chunk out of my work day which i've already cut short because i have to go to bed at 10 o'clock therefore it all messes everything up so it kind of like then almost forces you in a way to stick to that habit and you kind of like no this is what i do this is my day this is what and that that then i think is more like the can't changes to that you know i sorry i don't do that i i don't go and and um i don't take meetings at the nine o'clock in the evening or whatever um mm. so it's i think habit habit and structure are definitely a, a big part of, uh, of of this this change and people are going to make it right and you hear about that all the time you know, when you ask most top performing SDRs and things these days, the topic what comes up all the time is like structure. Have a structure in your day. Make sure your call blocks are here, your prepping's here, and you make sure you do that same thing time in, time out. Because repetition, of course, is is what gets you gets you to the the, the end game of the results in the end. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it links to something I've been talking about more recently, which is energy management as well is that we talk a lot about time management but not enough about energy management we've almost become time obsessed but you know and put it in a nutshell you could give yourself two hours to get a, from a to b on a journey but if you haven't got enough fuel in the tank you're not getting there and we structure is important but you know different tasks require different amounts of energy and also it's about assessing how much energy you have to start with and then how are you conserving it and how are you recharging it so a bit like your phone battery will wake up some days 100% more likely, 40, 50%. Maybe if you've been out drinking the weekend, 20%. Yeah. And it's thinking the different tasks you have that day are like apps on your phone. They will drain your battery. And it's also a good way to be intentional with like controllables and uncontrollables of where are you spending your time and energy? And often we will wait. A really simple example of this, we'll wait until we need a break. We'll, we'll, we'll think, oh, I'm in the zone, you know, and we'll wait. And we'll get to like yeah. maybe one or two and think, oh, I haven't had a break. I haven't had lunch. But... Mm. For example, if you had your phone, would you let it go to zero before charging it? Probably not. 
if you and i normally ask this question but it's probably changed at the moment if you had your car would you let it go to zero before refueling it you probably would at the moment but <laughs> typically you wouldn't because you'd have to be pushing it somewhere yeah what we normally do is we might look at our phone and go oh it's 50 percent now but i know i'm going out this afternoon in the evening if i don't charge it now it's going to die but we don't really think about that of our energy we think oh i feel good now but yeah but what's going to happen people are like oh i'm not an afternoon person is well if you've used your phone from 6 a.m to 2 p.m it's obviously going to die so it's the same as you it's yeah. not you're not an afternoon person it's just that that's the limiting belief is that you're not giving yourself those proactive breaks like go and take one i mean even when we're thirsty we're about 20 or 30 percent dehydrated i believe yeah. so it's about building in those breaks and and looking at your energy and going where am i spending where am i investing my energy because the phrase time is money is is important but time is energy most important thing yeah. and that is your biggest currency yeah yeah really good point really good point it's, it's kind of like one of those questions i think if you asked uh, if you asked every salesperson where do you get your energy from in a day yeah yeah you know, exactly not, not many would have a, an answer for that right or the answer would be sort of yeah superficial probably mm -hmm. right. yeah i get it from my team everyone on the phone or power hour or something like that right like, well, yeah because or our kind of yeah it's energetic in the moment but that's draining you of energy where, where do you get the where do you get the energy from to replace that what you've just burnt for the last hour two hours yeah definitely yeah. super important point out of interest the clients what you deal with and the people you speak with um how many of them are sort of management uh compared to like sales people i don't know whether you focused particularly on anyone so you probably have a a certain target audience but, uh, that's a mix. yeah so obviously companies pay us like a sort of subscription fee to work with them so we'll work across the board really from brand new bdrs sdrs ae csms all the way up to vps and managers and you know that's one thing i really em emphasize is when we do come in is that i want managers to be part of these sessions i want them to be part of the training or i want them to be able to access the one-to-ones because it's all very well me talking about this, for example, and there's people listening to this from sales, but if management don't adopt it, then you are working with a, within a kind of constricted environment as yeah. well from it. And, you know, I, you know, we talked about this at the start about the kind of old school mentality, but I put a post out, I think a few weeks ago, I said back in the day, salespeople didn't talk about their mental health. I said, well, back in the day, doctors used to prescribe cigarettes to people. So, you know, it doesn't, it just cause it used to happen. doesn't mean it's right. Like we evolve, we change. And I think people are like, oh, 20 years ago you know i used to crack on it's like yeah but we've evolved we better understand things now we yeah. we are able to and there's more things going on you know we're, we're more switched on than ever before with social media and other pieces around it and and sales is when you're in sales it's a big part of your life and there is that kind of moral obligation there to recognize that you are responsible for someone and and you've got to create that kind of environment for yeah. them and and it's important not just something to neglect it's a bit like and the question i get is off not often but i hear it and i've in the past particularly oh if we start talking about mental health more is it going to give people excuses for like mm. to but imagine when we first started talking about physical health whether people go oh but people might say they've got a stomach bug or they might say they've got the flu is people are probably saying that right now to you but it probably isn't that it probably is their mental health but they don't feel comfortable yeah. talking about it and it's more dangerous to let that go on behind closed doors where they don't feel like they can because that's when they feel like they're the odd ones out and they don't belong in that role or that company or in sales yeah yeah so really good point because that's like i mean how many times have you in in, in your younger days have you taken a day off because you didn't feel like going in mm. or because you're cold or you had a migraine that migraine or whatever it's because you didn't feel like going in because you was in a bad place yeah 
And I think maybe even back then, people, we didn't even realize it. You know, the more I look to understand my anxiety and mental health now, I probably look back and go, actually, I didn't even didn't even connect the dots at the time because it wasn't something I spoke about. I I just wasn't feeling myself. And I think there's probably so many people, actually, if you if they reflect back to the days where they didn't go in, is yeah. it, it probably might not have been this really obvious physical piece, but it probably was something linked to that. You just didn't have a label for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that obviously goes to show how far we've come, right, with awareness of mental health. Mm. Um, even in the past five years, I think it's been fantastic. And, and people are speaking about it more. So that's awesome. Anxiety. Let's talk about that for a minute. You mentioned, obviously, performance anxiety being one particular uh, form of anxiety you, you're talking about and covering. I think, at least in my experience and my thought process, like anxiety is probably one of the most common mental health issues out there. Uh, what I think everybody struggles with, uh, or at least witnesses, right? I, I don't think anybody sort of doesn't ever witness some form of anxiety, whether that's at home or at work. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, anxiety when it comes to sales, first and foremost, um, I think when you think about every part of, getting a sales job interviewing having your first day making your first cold call trying to compete with your teammates all of that stuff like that there literally just triggers anxiety left right and center right so so talk to me about sort of anxiety and, and let, try, try and share with the audience sort of like what's the most common trends you find with people when it comes to anxiety and what's the best way of people to deal with that handle it yeah uh, i think the most common things is that that performance anxiety of particularly you now going back to zero every quarter or even every month of some companies um and constantly feeling like oh am i you know is this person or like deals that you're working on are they going to be pushed back are they going to fall out of pipeline all those kind of things and then the anxiety of you know how am i being judged and i think when we went to a more remote world that was even harder because people didn't have that kind of visual recognition and reassurance from their managers and leaders People weren't taking breaks as much because it's like, oh, I feel guilty taking lunch while I'm at home is you do it in the office, but because there's not everyone else around, you can't model that behavior. Yeah. Um, so there are all the variety of things, but how you handle it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about that signal rather than a threat is, is starting to recognize, well, what's this trying to tell me? And this is, that's one thing that really helped me was when I was feeling anxious about my day, what we often do is we stay in that sort of primal mindset where our emotions start coming in and we start thinking about all the worst case scenarios is mm. well you know if you're if you're anxious about a meeting coming up if you're anxious about your target first question as i mentioned earlier would you rather be anxious now would you rather be anxious last day of the month or would you rather be anxious once that meeting is over or when you get probably now and it's going well what's the anxiety making you think about well it's probably making you think about who's going to be in that meeting what kind of questions they're going to ask you might be anxious about not knowing enough. Or what are you anxious about not knowing about? Let's drill down into that. Yeah. What are one or two things you can do to, to build your confidence and better understanding around that? What are some of the questions you're anxious about them asking? Okay, well, let's go and find out the answer beforehand. Who are you anxious that might be in that meeting? Okay, how can you research them beforehand? And then going into that meeting and actually going, oh, do you know what? If I wasn't anxious, I probably wouldn't have researched that question or researched that person. Or I probably wouldn't have done a bit more reading around you know, the types of questions they're going to ask. And what we don't do a lot of the time is we'll, we'll feel that sort of apprehension beforehand, but we don't then reflect on it afterwards and go, A, do all those big bad things I thought might happen, happen. Probably not. And B, look at all the benefits that came from me feeling like that at the start. 
because then what we can start to do over time is when that comes up again, rather than going, oh, no, I'm anxious, it's going, oh, you know, look how it benefited me last time. Going back to the thirst example before is we see this as a, you know, thirst in itself could be quite a scary thing if we looked in a different way, going, oh, my God, like my body's telling me I, I need to drink. And if I don't, I'm going to dehydrate and die. Like that's that's a very yeah. dangerous thing. We don't yeah. see it like that. We see it as, oh, OK, I'm thirsty. I need to get some water. Yeah. And it's it's getting to that point. It's a bit like public speaking as well. A lot of people will feel this fear and tenseness. And then as soon as it's over, like, oh, but they really mm. solve anything. They'll go back the rain, the same loop every time. Yeah. It's going, what's it trying to tell me? And rather than just sitting in that story, go through those questions and look to understand and then use it as a signal to, to gain something, to develop something, to build on it. And then over time, you can build a level of gratitude around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's just, just, Sorry, David, just to caveat that point, obviously, I'm not talking about all types of anxiety there. There are obviously that are more like there's obviously a scale. I'm talking about the kind of ones that maybe aren't medically diagnosed or aren't your sort of OCDs or other types of anxiety that PTSDs yeah. and all those kind of things. Obviously, that's a very different story. But yeah, it's that kind that's of a much more complex story. If we dig into that. Yeah. We need at least another hour or two hours for that one. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. It's very sort of associated to like you know a lot of this stuff is like NLP covered in like NLP, mm -hmm. right? Neuro linguistic programming, and it's it's about like creating a positive association to something. It's probably the most important piece, right? Um, it's funny as well. I also use with anxiety. One of the things I use, it, it, I always, I used to be one of the things I was good at when I was younger was like football, and I was never anxious about football. That was always fine, but I was also a sprinter. So I was like 100 and 200 meter sprinter. And if you want to understand anxiety and how to sort of change your frame of mindset on it, I, I always like whenever I watch athletics and I watch the 100 meter race or even 200, right? You look at the faces of those athletes and you know what they're witnessing there is anxiety, but they've reframed it because I always say anxiety and adrenaline are pretty much the same thing in that scenario. Mm -hmm. And it's just about how you use them. Because I always remember like no matter like, I, like at least at least in the first couple of years until I got a bit slower and everybody started getting taller than me in school, I used to win every time and I knew I would win. But that didn't mean at the beginning of a race, that actually probably gave me more anxiety, if you like, at the beginning of a race. But I used that. I used that and I sort of tried to turn that. This isn't anxiety. I didn't think, oh, my God, I'm going to lose. It was just like I would use that and feel the buildup because that for me, I, I, I associate anxiety with adrenaline and I associate adrenaline with what? gets me off the starting block fast because I'm holding it in, I'm holding it in and I'm going, boom, I'm going. So, and it's the same thing I use as well with, uh, I always talk about cold calling anxiety because I think that's probably one of the most common things people struggle with it, it, as an SDR in particular. And the funny thing is about cold calling as well, it's even like, like even if you've been in sales 20 years, right? If you've not picked up the phone for a while and somebody's like, yeah, come on, give us a phone call, call this guy. Like, instantly anxiety kicks in right and it's like mm -hmm. and my response to that when i moved into sales like i always associated it to the same thing it's like it's just adrenaline it's not like oh i'm, I'm anxious it was more like yeah okay <sighs> keep breathing like that let's go give me the phone and i just did it and that was what and it's always the same you get past that first conversation i'm not going to say the first dial because hitting the switchboard doesn't help hitting that first conversation having that first conversation put the phone on it's like all right, yeah, next. And then the anxiety is gone completely. Um, yeah. So I, I always talk about just not letting the anxiety build up because the longer you let it build up for, the worse it gets. 
and then you eventually get to that moment where you're just crippled and you're never going to pick up that phone mm. or you're going to do whatever it is you're anxious about doing right so it's just about reframing it uh, putting a, a positive association to it and treating it like adrenaline is always one of the things i talk about as well yeah and anxiety is often stems from uncertainty so going through those questions is how do i create more certainty around this situation even if i've never done it before how yeah. do i build more of an understanding because that in itself will then reduce the anxiety from it yeah. and, and and anxiety is okay to feel it's good it's good yeah. to be anxious about something because yeah. if you weren't it shows again you might you know you might go into it nonchalant and not caring and then you slip up and mm. and so on so yeah it's a positive thing and you know we'll yeah. get confidence as a result of doing it yes definitely definitely all right, I can see we're sort of almost we've run past our normal forty-five. But uh, if you've got time, I have. I've got a couple more just questions. What I wanted to ask, um, just to wrap up, really. And the first one is, what can companies do today to sort of help their salespeople feel more comfortable about opening up about mental health? Yeah, I think there's a well, there's a few things. Um, I think first of all, address the elephant in the room, particularly of new starters. So. You know, we'll often talk about this is where the company's going, this is what we're selling, this is our plans, our vision, but talk about the stuff that they might experience on the flip side, like after a few weeks of being there or when their first deal falls through and talk about those kind of things and go, look, you know, this is going to happen. And when you feel like that, that's okay. Like, come and come and speak to me about it. It's perfectly natural. Because yeah. if you don't, people go through this and they think, oh, everyone else has been like in this really, and this can go too far of like toxic positivity and everyone's like no one's mentioned this to me so maybe i'm the odd one out maybe i don't belong like they said that all this great stuff would happen but no one said this would i'd feel like this yeah. so i think address the elephant in the room i think secondly provide us provides avenues for people to be able to talk so yeah. managers not just managers but other avenues whether it's people like myself with sales psyche eaps um lunch and learns just spaces for people to be able to go and talk with one another about this and once you once i've seen this with the sessions we do once you put a label above the door of we're talking about limiting beliefs today or we're talking about imposter syndrome people will talk about this yeah maybe not straight away but they will when you provide the space for them to do so and also make it the four folk the focus of your one-to-ones not just yeah. this thing at the end of oh how have you been how are you doing no one wants yeah. to do that when you've been talking about 50 minutes of performance ask them at the start like how how have you been what's on your mind on a scale of one to ten how are you feeling right now don't just go with the how are you because it's a very generic question and yeah. recognize people won't do it won't open up straight away if you haven't done it before they might be thinking is this a trap yeah give them the space be consistent with it and even just run one if something sometimes that session needs to be about that park your agenda yeah make it about them and even give them those sessions where it is just about their agenda it's yeah. just about their mental health and their mindset rather than yours and performance so those are some of the things in a, in a nutshell really yeah so I'm, I'm, it's it's funny actually because it's you associate especially i i particularly associate of course i've had a lot of progress with people on mental health when they feel comfortable that they're having a confidential conversation with me i know i've been paid off i i know i've been brought in as a as a coach in a company as a sales coach and i've been paid you know, a big amount of money off the CEO who ever to bring me in. And I know I've sat there in so many sessions thinking if he knew the conversation I was having with this person right now, because he wouldn't understand it, he would probably fire me and get rid of me because he, he doesn't know this is what he's paying me for. But of course, what he doesn't realize is that like, you need to get past that mental hurdle in order to be able to perform. Right. Yeah. And that's what I've always focused on. But so, so I always associate that as being super powerful. Uh, it's the fact that I create a comfortable environment for people to be able to 
open up and feel comfortable about if I tell this guy I have anxiety issues or some form of mental health problems, I'm not going to get fired because nobody else knows. Yeah. What you're saying here is also a different scenario. And I think especially a more, much more usable for somebody who maybe doesn't, let's say a sales leader who doesn't have the, the, the experience to be able to have a conversation like that with somebody. It's, it's funny because it triggered a, a thought process in my mind of if you have a group session, let's say a sales leader is in a group session with 10 people and let's say he's of the opinion of like, if you're weak, if you've got mental health issues, you're weak. But yeah, let's talk about stress or anxiety today. And I think then if he watches that room all of a sudden open up, because it always takes that one brave person to put their hands up and say, yeah, I'll speak first, right? Share their experience. I think people will relate definitely to some of those examples. And then, I, yeah, you can probably tell me from your experience, right? And then I guess like, you know, that makes everybody else comfortable. And then all of a sudden you've got five out of 10 people who feel comfortable in a room and that sales leader can sit there and be like, oh, okay. Now there's, it's, it's not just one or two, it's actually half of my team who actually suffers from this. Yeah. I think there, I think if that sales leader goes into that scenario, probably very rarely would people put their hand up. So it has to come from the top. And I know a few companies who will go around and they'll do this once a month or every couple of weeks, they'll go around and share like what's, what's sort of filling up their what i call like stress container but the yeah. most senior person in the room will go first then the next senior person then the next senior person Brilliant. so it's done by how long you've been there or your position within the company because what it's doing is kind of giving permission to people who haven't been there as long to go oh this person opened up about this and yeah. that makes me feel more comfortable and you know i think one of the classic examples of this is you sit in mental health awareness week you see people put on their instagram stories or linkedin this is what we're talking about this week and the one thing i say to people is how do you make, if you want to do something, do what you did that week and think, how do we make that consistent? Like, how do we do that all year round? Because yeah. there's nothing worse than not doing it, doing it for a week, posting it on LinkedIn. Yeah. You're doing more harm than good because everyone there is probably thinking, well, you don't do this for us. You're just doing this because you want to attract new people or jumping on this kind of, you know, trend of um, virtue signaling and all, all that kind of thing. So actually go, well, how do we make this consistent? Rather yeah. than going, we'll do... We'll offer yoga that week or we'll do some like meditation sessions or we'll get someone like myself in or someone who's going well how do you do that in the long run like how do you build consistency yeah that's it uh, yeah i mean co it's coaching in particular regardless of whatever type of coaching it is like unless it's done unless you're committed to it in the long run it's not a short-term solution like training no. is for short-term solutions coaching like yes some people will make have an instant impact after one session sometimes that'll make a massive difference but the majority of people, it can take you like, it can literally take you six hours of coaching, six sessions with one person to reach the same point, what you reach within 10 minutes with another, right? So it really depends on the person. So you have mm -hmm. to be in it for the long run and and completely get with that. I, I felt like that with Mental Health Week, I feel like that with Pride, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, let's all do a blast and everyone changes their logos to, to you know, same with the Ukraine, right? Everyone changes their logo colors or put the rainbow colors on there. And it's like, well, that's just sort of promoting the fact that, yeah, we only need to talk about this for a week or a month or whatever it is. And then we can kind of like, yeah, that's that's that done. And we can forget about it until next year. And, it, and it's not a long-term solution, right? It's not a functional solution what's going to work in the long term. Mm. Cool. So finally, what's your message to anyone out there struggling with their mental health and feeling stuck right now? Yeah, I think one of the, one of the hardest things to do is to talk, but that will be one of the hardest things you have to do is recognizing that finding those people, finding those, those avenues is, you know, rather than thinking people won't, don't want to, don't want to know 
or we've kind of got into this mentality in the last couple of years of well at least i'm not as worse off as someone in ukraine or you know someone who i know had their family member pass away from covid that's not what this is about like everyone's challenges and what's ever going on in your head it's not about comparison here it's about just acknowledging that people would rather you know you tell them something than rather hear. and i don't know if you follow ufc but paddy the baddie paddy pimlet after yeah. his fight said that you know his friend had actually killed himself yeah. he'd he he did that and he said you know i'd rather have my mate cry on my shoulder than go to his funeral next week and i think that's the biggest yeah. thing here and i'm not saying that everyone's in that sort of position but obviously it can get to that point and i think it's about recognizing that people would rather your family and friends and even flipping it the other way if they were going through something they would rather you or you'd rather they speak to you and tell you about that than try and keep it to themselves yeah so talk yeah indeed chris it's been fantastic i'm positive everybody's gonna give me a really good positive reaction to this and uh yeah you, you may expect me to come knocking on your door again to do a round two of this for sure <laughs> you're welcome, so, you're welcome. yeah I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try and gather as much feedback and comments as possible on this this episode when it gets published later this week and then um definitely i think we, we should have a round two for certain uh, i'd love to love to keep pushing this topic and, and raising the awareness of it with you i think what you're doing is fantastic great so, well thanks for having me david and, and thanks everyone for listening and if anyone you know listening to this wants to reach out of any things i've talked about feel free to connect to me on linkedin chris hatfield not hadfield the astronaut um it's chris hatfield <laughs> all right cool yeah thanks for listening everybody keep your eye out for this one of course i'll be uh, publishing it this week and uh yeah we'll be back again with another episode soon bye for now